That's the extent of my Spanish right there. But, um, but he said, I'm the sheep that got lost. He, he was referring to a story that Jesus told about a shepherd who lost, who one of the sheep, he had a hundred sheep, and one of them wandered off on its own and got lost. He was just, you know, I'm not exactly sure what he meant lost by him being lost, but we all know what it's like to feel lost. He kind of wandered away. Obviously, he knew a Bible verse, so he probably had been close to God at one point, and he'd kind of wandered off, and now he, he, he was calling himself lost. We're, we're kind of starting something new, a new message series, and I really want to use this to tie in this idea of just feeling lost. I think we all know what it's like to feel lost. Not knowing who you are, not knowing what you're doing, where you're going, um, having all sorts of questions about your existence, about your identity, your purpose, your problems, your future. And, and maybe you do have a relationship with God, but you're right now you just walked into some very, very dark times. Or maybe, like this guy in the film, it seems like you're in darkness after years and years of just walking away from God, just trying to figure out life on your own. Or, or maybe you've, just, you've lived life completely without God. You don't, maybe you don't believe in God. And I realize that we're all at different places. We're all at different stages in our lives, walking through different things. But we all encounter times where we just feel lost and without hope. And we're not really sure what we should do tomorrow. And that's why I wanted to do this series, just to look at some things. We really need help and guidance when we're lost. We need someone who's going to lead us back to where we've come from, or to where we're safe, or to where we feel better. And we're not the first ones who felt this way. Um, People for centuries have been feeling lost. In fact, if anyone knew what it was like to feel lost and to have questions, it was a group of people called the Israelites. The Israelites, the Hebrew people, basically they grew up and they developed as a nation in slavery under Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. You probably have been familiar with the story of the Prince of Egypt. Maybe you saw that Disney film. And, well, it tells a story about their in, them being slaves in Egypt. For 400 years, they were enslaved. And they really knew what it was like to be in pain, to feel frustrated, to feel oppressed to feel discouraged, and to feel lost. And then what God did is he, through a man named Moses, he raised up a deliverer who would deliver them or lead them out from the the hand of Pharaoh, out of the land of Egypt, towards his promised land. God was leading them to a new land. And on the way there, on the way to this new land, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, they kind of lost perspective on life. They lost perspective on what was important, and because of their lack of faith, they ended up roaming in circles through the wilderness, just lost. Can you imagine that, being lost for 40 years? They wandered for 40 years in the desert. You know, maybe you're thinking, yeah, I know exactly how that feels. That's me right now. I feel like I'm just wandering. Well, in the midst of this, in the midst of them being lost, God stepped in. He intervened. And the people of Israel received the first five books of the Bible at this time. Okay, so they're wandering lost and God steps in and he gives them what's known as the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They received this, these books 
around this period when they're just kind of lost on their own. God, what he did was he, he led them back to the beginning. And he began to answer a lot of their key questions. Where, where did life begin? He started answering all these things. And so these books, the first five books that happen to be in the Bible, these all came to them as a message of hope and to provide some stability for them because they were really, really struggling. And the book of Genesis, especially what we're going to look at, answered some of the questions that they had as a nation. Like, how did we get here? What, you know, what's our purpose? So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at all of the questions that come out of the book of Genesis because they really do relate to our lives. We do the same thing. We wander around at times. We go through dark, dark days. We find ourselves lost, and we need someone who's going to bring us back and show us how to find hope. So today, this is the question we're going to deal with. How did I wind up here? How did I wind up here on this planet, on the planet Earth? You know, there's all sorts of ideas of how we arrived on Earth and how Earth even came to exist. And so what I would like to do is just talk about what the Bible says and look at the first chapter of Genesis and see how God answered this question of existence. Now remember, this initially came to a group of people who were wandering, and he stepped in and said, this is how life began. So the beginning of the Bible, he sets things straight. So I want to read this together. I'd I'd ask you, we don't usually do this, but let's read this together. Um, The first four verses at least. It says, ready? One, two, three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, uh uh-oh, was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. That's not easy to, to talk in unison like that. But let's go back to verse 1. If you could scroll back for us to to the first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the very first book in the Bible. If you have a Bible, you can even just double check. But it should be there on the first verse. But I think one of the most important things that we get here in the Bible is that everything begins with God. One of the most important principles for us to know when we're feeling lost in the different areas of our life, is that God was here first, and life is ultimately about Him. He was here first. The first thing it says is, in the beginning, God. He, not us, not you, I guess us, that didn't make sense, but He is the star of reality. You can take out, if you like, God is the star or the focus I'm not saying he's like a superstar like we, you know, have stars in our day, Hollywood stars. But he, he really is the star of reality. You can follow along if you like in the, in the listening guide. But we're a culture who is infatuated with stars. I try not to get too sucked into this stuff, but somehow every season when American Idol comes around, right about the end, I get really interested. You know, I want to hear these guys sing. I want to hear these ladies sing. I'm just fascinated with with their abilities. I don't know what it is, but we all want to be stars. We want to be the focus in life. There's just this pull in the human heart that makes us believe that life is really all about me. That's why the beginning of the Bible is so profound when it says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say in the beginning, Josh, or 
in the beginning, Bob and Susan, it says something very different. God himself has eternally existed. He has neither beginning nor end. If you want to boggle your mind, try to think about this concept of God has always existed. He is eternal. I used to try to figure that out as a kid. I would sit there and I'd try to think through, how long is eternity? People talk about heaven. I think, well, how long is that? Well, it lasts forever. And in my head, I'd try to get to the end of forever. And I think, well, it's, it's on and 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 on. And I never could really arrive. And as a kid, I remember thinking, man, that's, that's mind-boggling to think about this idea of eternity. But this is the fundamental lesson of all of life is that everything starts with God. It's about God. You know, but just think about how hard it is for us to, to remember this. When we're going through darkness, when we feel like we're lost, it's very, very difficult for us to see that life is really about God. Because we really want to be the stars. We struggle. This was the first year that I didn't send out a Christmas card in a long time with a, a photo of my family. You know, You probably got some of those in the mail from different people. It's like a real popular way to... Send greeting cards now. Well, this was one of the first years, and one of the challenges we faced was we just didn't have a lot of photos this year that we had taken. And, but very often, when we go through that process of looking for a photo, <laughs> I, we're searching through photos, and it's kind of like, you know, my wife would say, well, let, let's go with this one, and I'll look at it, and I'll be like, no, I look like I just woke up in that one. And, you know, let's go with this one, because I look really good in this one. And then it's, we, you know, it's the back and forth, because I really want to make sure I look right in these photos. It's just, again, that's the pull in our hearts that we really want to be the focus of life. You know, this is something that God speaks about here. It's not really about us. That's why these words are so important. And so when you begin to realize that life is fundamentally and ultimately about God, it really changes things. It changes your perspective. Life is about God, His glory, His fame, His pleasure. All of creation is about Him. And so I want to look at this as it's laid out in the Scriptures. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A couple of things He started with. But this is very different. The idea of Him creating something is very, very different than mine and your ability to create. When the Scripture says He created the heavens and the earth, He didn't start with anything. He wasn't working with materials. If I took you up to an empty lot and said, Here, I'm going to bring you lumber, and I'm going to have a big truck drop off all the supplies you need. Nails, wall studs, big beams, saws, tools, all this stuff. Some of you here would probably be able to frame up a house. You have that ability to do that, some of you. Maybe others of you are that rugged that you could join Survivor and go be dropped up in the Amazon in the middle of nowhere. And you could look around at your surroundings and say, you know what, I can, I can build a hut out of this. You know, I can create something out of this. But in God's case, he started with with nothing. He simply spoke or formed, and things came into existence through his actions, through supernaturally through his commands. This, This idea, the Latin phrase, ex nihilo, out of nothing, is this idea that God and his creative ability is far, far different than our ability to make things and to create things. So in this case... He is very, very different. Let's look at the second verse. Verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
There's three phrases here talking about what was going on at this point. Okay? The first thing he says, now the earth was formless and empty. Or, in other words, the earth was this empty, the Hebrew means, it was this empty and desolate place. We have a real hard time. We can't really get our minds around this because we don't really, we weren't there. <laughs> but as God has revealed it, he's saying that the earth was just initially just this empty, desolate place. And at this point, the earth was absent of form. It was absence of inhabitants. It was just kind of unfinished and empty. The raw materials were all there, but God hadn't begun to put it all together into something that would make sense to us. And it says that darkness was over the surface of the deep. Everything began in just total, total darkness. Not only was the universe just kind of barren, but it was absolutely pitch, pitch, pitch dark. About the only time I've experienced this was cave exploring. Maybe you've done this, but I remember cave exploring in Tennessee once, and we're going for a long time in these caves, and there were these little lights. And at, the, and at certain points, they would say, okay, everybody, we're going to shut the lights off. And they turn the lights off and it would be pitch black and you couldn't see anything. It's really hard to get an idea of absolute darkness because usually we shut off the lights, we can see the sun, we can see the, or we can see the moon or something from the outside. This is still very different. So darkness was over the surface of the deep, this expression deep. In the scriptures, the deep always refers to um, water. Okay? And so at this point, in the next part, it says the Spirit of God was just hovering over the waters. There's this idea that there wasn't really, um, that water was covering the earth at this point. Okay? There's all this water over the earth. It's not just a bunch of land, but it's water, and it's, again, it's unformed, it's, it's completely dark, and then God's Spirit is just hovering, kind of a strange picture, but hovering over the waters. God's Spirit here is kind of, the picture is that He's, he's surrounding everything, and He's, he's He's kind of guarding or supervising what's happening in creation. The picture here, the original language, is really the picture of how a a mother hen would be guarding over the nest of her little chicks, making sure that everything's okay. That's the picture we're given. It's that God's Spirit was kind of supervising. He was paying attention to everything as it was being created. He didn't just create some sort of a mechanism for evolution. And then leave the universe alone and allow it to, to create itself. And some people believe that. That God just set everything in motion and then he backed off. He didn't, he didn't do that. He was very much involved. That's the next thing. God was directly involved in every aspect of his creation. Everything he was involved in. You know, like some of the stars, and the rich and famous stars in Hollywood, they just kind of, they don't like to be in the public. They're very much, they like to be stars, but, they're, but they like to be distanced from people. God is not like that. He's very much involved in our world. And from the very beginning, he, he stays involved, supervising what's going on here. And he didn't just send someone else to do the job, like someone from middle management, but he did it himself. Look at this verse, Psalm 8.3. David, he said this, When I look at the sky which you have made, at this moon and the stars which you have set in their places, he's... We're stopping mid-thought there, but he's just, we sang, we sang a song. The first song we sang in the service was Majestic. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's Psalm 8.1. You know, and then he, Psalm 8.2 says something different. He gets to this. When I look at the sky, he's just saying, I'm amazed, God, that you actually, this, you were supervising, you were doing everything. 
You made the moon and the stars. You set things into place. This wasn't accidental. Every bit of God's creation shows his handiwork and just his involvement with, with us, with his creation. Look at verse 3. It's interesting. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. How many of you parents have told your children to do something to which they replied, why? And then you say, you can almost fill it in for me. Go ahead. Because I said so. That's why. Now, how often do your kids go, okay. Sometimes they may look at you and, and then you might have to act on that. But other times, you know, they just, it's not usually like, because I said so. And then all of a sudden, all of your commands are just done. God can actually pull that off. Things actually happen when God says so. That's the idea here. There's this phrasing, let there be light. And it was. So creation, this is the next thing in your outline, creation displays God's power and brings Him glory. Anybody that can pull that off is very, very, very powerful. God Himself has all the power to do this, to pull this off, to just create things. So there's this phrase over and over, let it, let it be done or um, let, the, you know, let it be light or let there be light and then you know, let this, let that. He just, it's almost like a royal, when people study this, they talk about how it's very similar to this thing of royalty where royalty will just command, let this happen and it happens. Let this happen and it happens. That's, God, that's kind of the, the phrasing that's used here. And this belief, to believe that God can simply speak things into existence, requires faith. That's not an easy thing to really believe that anybody can pull that off. So look at Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand, this is encouragement to press on and to keep believing. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed on God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This is the kind of faith it requires. To believe that God created just through speaking things into existence requires real faith. Faith that, that usually has a gap between what you see and can understand and what actually exists. There's this gap, and so it requires us to just take God at His word. And the Bible, it really teaches this, that, that the universe was, was formed by God, or intelligently it was designed. When you know, people talk about creation versus evolution. The big issue that is raised is intelligent design. Was there someone who actually created all this through their commands? Or was this just an evolutionary process? Evolution teaches the opposite of intelligent design. It teaches the opposite of what, what I'm talking about here this morning. It, it turns the creation event into a process that spanned billions and billions of years and is still going. It's not complete. We're still in this process. And so I'd like you to take a look at a video clip from a movie that was put out recently by Ben Stein. Um, this isn't the Bible. It's not, he's, this guy is not a follower of Christ. He is a, um, an economical, economic and political um, commentator. He's also an actor. You've probably seen him in a number of movies. He's that guy that just has that real monotone voice and talks. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And um, Bueller, Bueller, that's him. Well, he's this, he's this Jewish man that denounced the theory of evolution. And he believes in intelligent design. 
So I'd like you to take a look at this clip from Expelled about how life began, because he's having a problem with what science and evolutionary theory says. This is the story of a small planet in space called Earth. For a typical Darwinian explanation of how life originated, Dr. Wells directed me toward this documentary. The chemical elements essential for life, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen, were now in place. What was needed was a way of combining them. Perhaps the energy came from lightning. Whatever it was. Excuse me? Whatever it was, energy managed to arrange these chemical ingredients in just the right way. Whatever it was? I was hoping for something a little more scientific. The most popular idea has been that life emerged spontaneously from primordial soup. In 1953, Stanley Miller mixed water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen to simulate the early Earth's atmosphere. Then he ran electricity through it in an attempt to jumpstart life. It didn't work. While the initial results seemed promising, 50 years later, most serious scientists have abandoned this approach in favor of alternate theories. Prominent Darwinist Michael Roos attempted to explain one of them to me. He wasn't kidding. How did we get from an inorganic world to the world of the cell? Well, one popular theory is that it might have started off on the backs of crystals. My crystal ball molecules piggybacked on the back of crystals forming and that this led to more and more complex but of course the nice thing about crystals is every now and then you get mistakes mutations and that this opens the way for natural selection but but at one point there was not a living thing yeah and then there was a living thing how did that happen well this is the i just told you and i don't see any reason why you shouldn't go from very simple to more and more complex to more and more I don't complex. either I don't either but I don't know how you get from mud to a living cell that's my question yes well I've told you I think it's on, on the backs of crystals over the backs of crystals is at least one hypothesis yes so so that's your theory and you think that is more likely and less far-fetched than intelligent design I think it is so to believe in in evolution is a belief that Naturalism, or, uh, which is tied into this evolutionary theory, is a belief that the cosmos is all that there is. It's all that there ever was and all that there ever will be. Um, but there's problems and there's holes in the theory of evolution. It's, it's a theory. It's taught as fact. But, but there's problems. There's people have been searching. Scientists, secular scientists, have been searching for proof of evolution. And they've devoted their years looking for proof for evolution. And they haven't been able to find what they're looking for. And so you have a move among secular scientists now that are saying, you know what? Intelligent design actually makes more sense. We see more evidence for intelligent design. That's more believable than the theory of evolution. There's really a split right now. It's very interesting. You can study in this issue. And there's lots of resources of, of um, scientists who are not Christians, but they're putting out all their work saying, we, we, this is beginning to lead us towards intelligent design, believing in intelligent design. You know, the scripture says this. It just says, creation 
is because of God's spoken word. And it's a display of his power. It's really an amazing thing. It's supernatural. This is one of the most amazing things that God did is he created. Look at verse 4. It says that God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. So this is pretty much the end of day one. And it says in, in this day, three things were created. Okay? First thing is time. Secondly, matter. And then light. At the end of day one, three things. Time, matter, and light. The creation of time began when, when you know, in the very beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created. The, the phrase beginning is something in Scripture that always refers to time. It's always a reference to time. The beginning of what? In the beginning of what? The, the answer is time. Time itself did not exist up to that point. Before this, there was no way to measure time. His creation actually set things into motion set time into motion. Secondly, matter was also created at this point. Out of nothing, in an instant, the universe was, was created and formed with all of its space through God's command. And all of the energy and everything was there, at least at the end of day one. The energy and the mass was there. It was, again, it was unformed at this point. And then light. God speaks light into existence. Let there be light. There was light. And light is very special to God. It comes up all throughout the scriptures because light is one of the creations that reflects His glory. The fact that God shines or he, he illuminates things through light. God is one that takes us out of darkness and, and shines light and truth into our lives. This, it's very, very interesting that light is created in the first day. It's very, very important that God makes known to us how life really works. So it happened in the first day. So that's pretty much the end of day one. Verse 5 says this. Oh, yeah, back up. Yeah. Everything that God created had a purpose and brought him great delight. Everything. Everything that he made was a very, very intentional part of his plans. It all had a purpose. It all brought him pleasure. If you see in this, um, in this first chapter of Genesis, you see some phrase coming up six times. It was the fact that creation was good. You see his delight over and over again through creation. He says, you know, and it was good. God looked at what he made, and it was good. He saw that the light was good. At the end of each day, he looked at what happened, and he said, it's good. And at the end of creating everything, he said, it was very good. God was, he was pleased. He was taking pleasure in all that he'd made. If you're a parent, you take real joy in, in the things that you see your child accomplishing. And in the same way, God takes great delight and pleasure in his creation in being able to experience what he set in motion. It's almost like, you know, really when you see your kid do something, you're like, there you go, that's great. Well, God, since he made everything, he made the sun to rise, he made, you know, animals and you know, all these different things, it seems like he is also able to just do that with his creation, just to look at things when the sun rises and sets, to, for him to just delight in that and say, that's good, I made that. You know, when he sees us living our lives in the way he's designed us, it's almost like he's saying, that's good too. He took real pleasure in his creation because it was purposefully made. So I want to just look briefly. We're, not gonna, we're just going to read through this together. We're not going to look at the rest of the week of creation. But this is what happens in day two. Day two, God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. 
Verse 8, which is not up here, I, I forgot to put it. It says, God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So the second day, what's made is the sky. God creates the sky. Then the third day, day number three, says, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and, the, and he gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the third day. So there's, on this day three, there's, a, there's some different things that happen. Um, life in the forms of uh, trees. Not, not just a tree, like, not like God just scatters a bunch of seeds, but he actually creates things that appear mature. It's interesting because he had to do that in order to support things that would happen the next day and the next day and the next day. So everything he created had the appearance of age. You know, birds that were created, they were, they were mature birds. Trees that were mature with fruit on them. So they could sustain the life that would come on the next day. Look at day four, verses 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, to gr- the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. Again, God saw that it was good. He took pleasure in it. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. The fifth day. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, sky, earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teams according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So now he's giving his creation the ability to um, reproduce. You know, day four, day five, there's reproduction happening. The ability to sustain. Then look at this next day, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. Livestock, create creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. We're going to stop there. Next thing he creates is us. He creates men and women. He creates humanity. But this is a very, very different idea than the idea that we just evolved out of some primordial soup, flying on the back of crystals, becoming more and more complex through long, long time periods. This is just very different. The Bible just says God simply created as he saw fit. Everything that he created was intentional. So that's kind of, that wraps up the creation account. We're going to look next week at where we come into, where we come into the picture because um, God did something very different with us. You know, in the, in the earth that was formless and void, he filled up the void and he gave form to this 
formless shapes that were there. All the while, God's Spirit was intimately and He was personally involved in everything as it was going on. It was very, very important to God to supervise this. But from this point on, from verse 26 and on, the entire creation account kind of zooms in on the planet Earth and the life that would begin on planet Earth. It doesn't just stay way out in, in you know, way out in the distance, but he zooms in and he, he creates men and women. And things begin to happen in the lives of his creation. And we, as his prized possession, create, we, he does something very different in us. We're going to look at that next week. It's very interesting how the scripture takes humanity and it, it, it makes them the focus. You can see that we're very important to God. All of the New Testament, so much of the Bible is wrapped up in helping us navigate our way through life so that we don't have to wander lost. We're very important to God, that he would clue us in to how life really works. So just to to wrap things up, you might be here this morning still feeling lost on all sorts of levels, with all sorts of questions, with all sorts of things you're right in the middle of. And what I'd like to encourage you with today is that there is an all-powerful God who runs this universe He's created everything that we see and get to experience. Nothing on earth escapes his notice. He's very much involved in our affairs. And no matter how lost you feel, you can trust your life to him, knowing that he is a loving God who will care for you. And he'll walk you through stuff. He has this entire world in his hands. He's running things just as he saw. And you may be unsure of whether or not you can really trust God. Maybe you're right in the middle of some things that are very, very dark, and you're not sure if you can trust Him. Well, the God who spoke order into the chaos and the darkness can do the same thing in your life. And I want to encourage you with that, that God has a track record of speaking order into chaos. And it starts with us recognizing that He is the star. He's, he's what's most important. Yielding our lives to His plans Reaching, he's reached out to us, but it's us responding back to him and saying, God, I want, I want to be a part of your plans. I want to see what you're doing. I want my life to, to be, I want it to really matter. I, I'd invite you if, you, if you do not have a relationship with God, he gives us the opportunity to respond to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And I, I would invite you to um, ask some questions about how to connect with God. We have on our welcome card a couple of boxes. One says, I'd like to learn more about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you. I'd encourage you to check that box. If you're not sure that you've ever connected with him or how to, we'd love to give you some information to help you nail that down. Also, if you just feel like you've never really grown as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, there's a box on there you can check as well. We're going to take a moment. The band's going to come up after I, after I pray. And we're going to sing three more songs. And these, all of these songs are songs that are just packed full of the fact that God... We're singing praises to a God who is all-powerful and yet personal and involved in our lives. And I would encourage you to sing out and worship to the God who, who made everything that we see, and yet He wants to be in our lives. So let, let's pray to Him together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for answering the questions in our life. And Lord, many of us have more questions. All of us do, God. And, and You promised to not leave us abandoned. You promised not to leave us in the dark. So, God, I thank you for just the way that your truth speaks in a very relevant way to our lives. Lord, as we, as we 
are about to sing these songs, Lord, I pray that we would truly worship you, the one who created everything that we see. Lord, I also just lift up Angie and, and Nolan again. Lord, I pray you would bring your comfort into their lives. And Lord, that you continue to wrap your arms of love around them, God, as they uh, mourn their loss, Lord Jesus. Help us to know, again, how, how we're to come alongside them and to support them, Lord, as part of their family, Lord. just um, But be with them, God. Help them to sense and to know your, your presence, to experience your love and your goodness through this hard time. We bless you right now, Jesus, and we thank you for being with us. In your name, amen.